So welcome to another episode of The Shredder Show. Today we have the absolute pleasure of a man who's helped me a hell of a lot recently, and that's Mr. John Fleming. So John is a social psychologist, and today we're going to talk about unlocking your mind to unlock your body. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, John. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm really good to, to be chatting with you, Charlie, and we're looking forward to it. So one of the big aspects that we try and really focus on with clients, um, CG Coaching, is like the mindset and approach with things because realistically it's a bit corny, but that the body will only go where the mind will take it. And mm. I see so many people self-sabotaging themselves. And I imagine a lot of people come to you, John, with this as a, um, a problem initially that they're trying to maybe uh, to fix and they're not aware that even they have this issue from the start. Yeah, absolutely, Charlie. I mean, I think that uh, behavioral change can only ever go so far, you know, so um, you you can definitely make behavioral changes in terms of diet, you know, the exercise that you do, which is obviously a really important part. I mean, I'm working with clients um, in a therapeutic way. I'll be encouraging them to, to do that because we know now particularly for maybe clients who are suffering with depression, for example, that actually movement and nutrition is a huge part of getting well. Um, but the behavioral change will only go so far in some instances. Um, and I suppose, you know, from my point of view, it's like if you want long lasting results, often there's some psychological work that needs to be done in terms of emotional literacy, um, psychological resilience, improving people's self-esteem and confidence. Now, some of the behavioral change can probably boost that, you know, so if somebody starts feeling better about themselves physically, they like looking at themselves in the mirror, obviously they're going to get a confidence boost and their self-esteem is going to go with that. So they can go hand in hand. Um, But sometimes what I find is that people maybe have initial some, some success around behavioral change. So they might, you know, lose a few pounds or whatever, and then they get stuck. Um, and where they get stuck is because they don't have um, the the emotional wherewithal to carry them through. So what I see an awful lot is um, things like comfort eating um, in, in my practice is a huge thing. Um, you know, so it's like Monday to Friday, they can they can get by and then on Saturday, it's, it's like they just binge all weekend. Um, and an awful lot of the time, that's outside of clients' awareness, I think. They, they don't realize that they have this dependency on food. Um, so it can be really interesting to explore that from an emotional point of view. Um, and, you know, you know the, the phrase eating my feelings is something that I work with a lot. Um, I work with a lot of clients who eat their feelings. Um, and, they, and, and, and interestingly, a lot of the time, that is very much out of their awareness. 100%. I think, do you have conversations with clients and then you can almost just see something like the penny drops, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I suppose I'm coming at it from a from a specific angle that I'm trying to create awareness for the client um, and support them in that journey. So I'll always be, you know, asking powerful questions in, in a sense of hoping that the penny drops for them, you know, because it's one thing telling a client, you know, what you observe and what you see their behavior to be. But when that client realizes it for themselves, that's when the real change can begin and the shift can occur you know and so sometimes yeah it's great when you can see that light bulb going off and they go oh that's what I've been doing all this time uh you know and then they feel more empowered and enabled to make a change because they realize that it's it's part of their psychological makeup it's part of their behavior that's actually holding them back um 
so so doing things like okay well if i'm not going to be eating my feelings what am i going to be doing with them am i going to be feeling them that might be a novel thing for people um and particularly in britain and ireland i think that you know there's a lot of 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 societal conditioning around feeling um you know a common thing would be like boys don't cry you need to toughen up um, there can be a big thing around uh, when women not, uh, it's not acceptable for women to get angry. Um, people pass awful remarks about that, like, oh, they're just hormonal. Well, uh, and actually, no, they're not. They're, they're angry and that's okay. Um, and sometimes because of that societal conditioning, that can drive people towards eating as a way of um, dealing with those um, un, unfelt behavior or feelings rather. Um, you know, what we're talking about here is, is essentially a kind of a form of addiction. Charlie. So um, other people take drugs, other people drink alcohol, some people online shop, retail therapy can actually just be an addiction um, and uh, gambling. So, so I just join food into that circle really and see it as, uh, from my point of view, as, as being an addiction. Um, and while it's covering over in a lot of cases are actually just uh, repressed emotions. So people are not getting in touch with their sadness, with their fear, their anger uh, about something that happened in the past, something that's going on currently. Um, and their way of kind of disassociating from it and numbing it out um, is to put food in their mouth. This is a really common occurrence in the West. And it's, what do you think that really is down to? Do you think that's just a coping mechanism they've had since childhood and they're just unaware they're almost doing it? Because one of the things that I see a lot of people do is they, they have unconscious habits and they unconsciously sit there on the sofa eating shit food and they're not even really enjoying it. And they don't realize that they suddenly lift their head up and then they've actually eaten like an entire family bag of Doritos or something stupid. Yeah, I think it can be lots of things. And I think that, you know, you can kind of, you can refer to it as lots of things like, you know, habits that were developed when they were a child um, or, or whatever. I think it all comes down to the fact that it's often people are not very emotionally literate. Um, they're they're not, you know, I always make the, the joke that we have people leaving school um, who are experts in, in things like algebra and are going to go on to study physics in university, um, but they don't know how they feel. Um, for me, that's a really big problem. You know, I... I would actually say that's an epidemic, like, you know, that we, you know, and, and you, you could co compare and contrast that then against, you know, the extremities like eating disorders, rates of suicide, you know, these are all feeding into it. So, yes, they probably start off as bad habits, but unfortunately they can escalate and then people find themselves in a situation where they've been doing it for 10 or 15 years and they only start to realize they just wake up one day and go, oh God, I can't believe i've been living my life like this um and you know that thing of of doing it unconsciously is is the trick it's the way that it works it's why eating is such a good um kind of um i suppose it's a number really um because one eating food isn't illegal um and is is more or less acceptable generally okay that you can eat what you want um so it, it's also easy to get away with does that make sense you know so it's not like uh going down the street and shooting up heroin or um taking a load of cocaine it, it there's something about food that's a lot more acceptable um and some people might get you know a little bit offended that i compare drug addictions food addictions um or, or any other addiction like gambling or anything like that. But I, I, I'm 
not looking to offend people about their eating. I'm just saying that it's just one of many tools that we use as a way of numbing ourselves out. And from a theoretical point of view, I see them to be very similar. Um, it just depends on a, a unique set of circumstances in your life, whether you choose food or choose drugs, really. Um, so I, I suppose when you look at it from that, I also use that as a way of maybe really motivating people to, to make a change, because I think when that gets pointed out to them, um, they maybe don't see eating whatever they want as being as acceptable as they did before. Because sometimes, you know, I get clients to say, well, why shouldn't I be able to eat whatever I want? You know, um, and, and, and they feel maybe policed about their eating um or, or confronted um and, and i guess that you know when when people enter um treatment facilities for other types of addictions that can go on as well around the confrontation of their use and why they're using it um, and what it gives them that they don't have so i suppose things that i'd be looking for then when people aren't going to be eating is what they're going to be doing with that time like you said people just eat on this you know sit on the sofa and eat and it's a very unconscious process so one of the things that i need to think that we need to think about from a behavioral point of view then is if they're not going to be sitting on the sofa eating what are they going to be doing instead um obviously dealing with the underlying emotions as to why they might be eating is one of them um but also actually just how they're going to use that time so coming up with novel ways of, of passing time, because I also think that some um, of that eating can be down to boredom. Um, I don't know if that's something you would come across with your clients, but sometimes people just... Now, now more than ever with what's been going on the last 12 minutes, months. I think yeah, been. yeah, people are incredibly bored. Um, and again, eating can be a really uh, great thing to do when you're bored. For, and this is people's perception. It's just like, oh, I'm a bit bored, so do you know what? I'll just eat this packet of Maltesers or I'm a bit bored so i'll just have a pizza and and actually sometimes people can be eating extra whole extra meals so they might have breakfast lunch and dinner and then like at midnight they might have a whole other meal again they might decide to order pizza um from from a delivery place so you know the, the amount of calories that people are consuming on top of that then is, is huge and they're not always accounted for because it feels like sometimes it's such an un un unconscious process for people that actually they're, they're doing it in a way that they're not consciously thinking of oh this is way more, more food than i actually need um and I suppose on top of the boredom then as well, so like, because that might only be one part of it, um, you, you might also have people um, feeling like they, they just, uh, it's always been that way. So for example, um, some kids grow up um, being given food as a comforter. Um, I don't know if you've, you've come across that with clients or, or, or not, Charlie, but I've definitely met people who've said, oh, well, whenever I was upset when I was a kid, my mum gave me food. Um, and I could have whatever I wanted. And to be um, honest with you, what's interesting, like people look at me and they think, oh, um, you're genetically gifted. You've always been like this. Like, I was a fat kid. And like, that's the reason why. Yeah. Is, and we've spoken about this because we can go into more about like myself and John's working together. But that's something that's always, always been a skeleton in my closet. And it's probably what's driven me to be to the, the far extreme that I am now. And so driven to help other people because it's... Um, something that once you've had that as a child and that's been almost like a coping mechanism that's almost like psychologically ingrained into you 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, you know, that's the other thing to mention here as well. I mean, I was a fat kid too, um, Charlie, and um, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely don't look genetically gifted at the moment either. Like I, I'm very much an average Joe and I have my own eating battles that, that I need to deal with, which is also, I think, part of the reason I'm so interested in this area because um, it's also been part of my own journey. And I know that like my mum definitely gave me food when I was when I was upset as a kid. Um, you know, I used to get told I was all, all sorts of things. So if I, I if I was frustrated or, or annoyed, I, I would just get told I was tired. So so when I'm angry now, I can often feel like I'm tired. Um, uh, when actually I'm not tired at all, I'm just angry. Um, and when I was upset, I would be given food. So so now I have this comparison that if I'm sad, I must be hungry. That that's what, that must be what's wrong. And then you know, from we know now the way that neuroscience works and how synapses are formed and how they strengthen over time by re repetitive uh, behaviour. Um, there's actually a really good uh, video on on addiction. It's actually about sex addiction, um, and it's co it's a, it's called the the road to Brighton. And it's just talks about like that every time a sex addict wants to have sex, they they drive the road from London to Brighton. Um, and the more they drive that road, the more of a highway it becomes. And then before they know it, it's like a motorway. And that's a, a synapse in your brain. And it becomes really strong, almost like a muscle. You're, you're exercising it over and over and over and over and over and over again, which is why these behaviors can be really difficult to change sometimes. So part of the process that I do when I'm working with clients is about um, making those those connections in your brain redundant and forming new ones okay so it's about saying if i feel hungry i need to ask myself am i actually hungry or am i having a feeling that i'm not acknowledging so for example maybe i'm angry maybe i'm lonely maybe i'm tired there's actually a really good acronym that i use with clients and it's called halt and it stands for hungry angry, lonely, tired. So the first question when I'm hungry, I always ask myself now is, am I actually hungry? And if I'm not, then I go through, maybe I'm angry, maybe I'm lonely, or maybe I'm tired. And just trying to figure out what, what's the source of my hunger, because a lot of us just grow up thinking if we're hungry, it's because we're hungry and we need to put food in our bodies, but that's not actually always the case. So I think that that's a really important um, thing to be thinking about as well about how this is an ingrained set of behaviors that happens over a long period of time and that actually change can be difficult so it's also about not denying it because i think if we go back to how we started this conversation charlie we talk about behavioral change um the behavioral change says okay you're doing x which is that you're eating too much and you need to now do y which is eat a deficit diet okay so that's it and and you just have to do that but unfortunately that's not necessarily always selling selling the client up for success because uh they can acknowledge that that's the reality and that's the truth but actually doing it then is a whole different story so they might set out on monday and go okay no problem i'm committed to this i'm going to do it and they do it on monday they do it on Tuesday, they do it on Wednesday. Then they have a really bad day at work on Wednesday and on their way home, they pass somewhere and they can smell pizza and pizza is one of their favorite foods. And that connection then will hit that synapse in their brain that has been there for years and it will just make them 
brave pizza and they it won't matter how committed they are to the program you've put them on they are now in an emotional response they're having a craving and the likelihood that that person's going to be able to continue their journey home without getting pizza now at this point is probably very slim so the psychological work that needs to be done to that is about educating the client around what sort of things can you expect to happen is it likely that you're going to have an emotional response at some time during this program is it likely that you're going to get really strong cravings yes what mechanisms can you put in place to avoid uh you know you you ending up eating the pizza or eating whatever it is that you shouldn't be eating anymore um so it's it's about almost kind of um future proofing it's about uh, having that discussion right at the beginning and saying you know how could you sabotage yourself in this what what is it that could happen or what is it that could go wrong or with a lot of clients it's a case that actually they've been around this many times before they've had you know 12 gym memberships they've been for personal training several times before it's never been successful so one of the other conversations i have with clients is well what didn't work before when it when it didn't work before why why do you think it didn't work what went wrong how quickly did it go wrong and about trying to build up some resilience to those things so like it's natural to have cravings do you know what i mean and 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 it, and to tell a client that they're not going to have cravings is to lie to them and, and and then they'll just be lying to themselves so it's actually just more about trying to acknowledge what will the difficulties be and how can we prepare for them yeah 100 and it's just setting clients up for results i think in that respect and do you have like an infrastructure almost like a system that you use with clients to try and get them to that point if they're struggling when they first come to you i suppose because i don't necessarily work on for example like weight loss specifically so like i would never have clients that would come to me and say uh you know i want to lose x amount of weight or um or, or whatever they, they might come to me and say you know i'm not happy in my life and you know these are the changes i want to make so we'll be working holistically on on the clients and i think that's one of the important words about how i work and what my infrastructure is is that i work holistically with with people so i often work with people in an organizational setting i might be brought in by the organization they work for um so corporate clients i might be working with people personally one-to-one -one, and um i don't work with those two client groups differently the way i work when i show up is that i'm there for that client in whatever way they want to use the coaching or therapeutic experience to their advantage um and you know sometimes physical um kind of performance in terms of you know i get clients to say i want to run a marathon or i get clients saying i want to you know to put on muscle or i want to reduce my body fat but it will be an aside to the other things that we're doing as well because these clients may also be reporting anxiety they might be reporting depression um they might be reporting problems in their relationship or grief can oft, often be a part of it as well so they've lost a loved one or a family member um so I suppose my, my infrastructure really around that is that I work with everyone from the same place, which is I hold everyone in positive, unconditional regard. Um, and that I work quite intuitively, intuitively from there on in then. So I'm somebody who really works with the process. So a client can, uh, you know, contact me before a session, maybe a couple of days and say, you know, on Friday, I want to, to do this. And I'll say, yeah, no problem. We can look at that on Friday. And then it gets to Friday and it gets to the session. 
we may or may not work on that depending on what the process throws up because something else might be more important for us to tackle. Um, I'm thinking of one client that I worked with recently where we had agreed to look at uh, something in particular with them in a session around values um, and then when, when we got there actually it, it, it became really apparent that actually what was really important to be working on was their self-care at the moment because of what's going on around COVID and that it could have been um, a kind of a, a distraction to go after something else um, so I often kind of um, see myself or my role as well as as a counsellor or coach to be I suppose kind of seeking out the truth you know um, and and because of of the way that we operate as human beings so that sometimes we can be hiding things or holding things back um, or, or there can be difficult areas that we don't necessarily want to go to. And I see my role as creating a safe space in which the clients would be willing to go to those areas and explore them and kind of unpack them and look at them. So I suppose part, part of how I set that up is just creating a very non-judgmental space, a space in which there's a high level of trust that we build over time. Uh, obviously, confidentiality is a huge part of it. Um, and also, I'm, I'm quite disarming. So I use humor a lot in my work because um, I think that that helps people relax a little bit um, and also realize that although some of what we might be talking about is really serious stuff and can have quite a lot of depth to it, it can be things that go all the way back to childhood. It can be difficulties with family, family relationships. Um, and, and, you know, for, for some people, it might be their first time ever talking about this stuff to someone else. So it's also just remaining really respectful of that. Um, but my, my, my drive all the time, Charlie, is, is to get the best results I can for the clients and support them in, in getting those results. So I don't shy away from difficult conversations and I don't shy away from chasing after what I think is is the the right topic for the here and now and sometimes that can bring up emotions sometimes people can get upset in sessions and sometimes people can get angry or it can really hit a nerve um, and sometimes i see that as success and clients often report afterwards you know when they go away they might message me that evening or they might report in on the next session and say you know i really didn't want to get to go there that that's not where i wanted to go but actually on reflection, now that we've gone there, I'm after realizing it's where I really needed to go. I actually needed to talk about that. And I've been avoiding talking about it for a long time. So I suppose to put that in short, I'm going for the cure rather than anything else. So I'm chasing after the root cause. I'm not overly interested in the symptom. And I see the eating patterns, the addiction to food, the, the behavioral aspect of that as a symptom. So it's like, okay, you're, you're not taking care of yourself. You're eating all this shit and that's a symptom. So what I'm really interested in is why are you doing that? Not that you're doing it, okay? Why? What happened in the past that you are now left doing with this behavior? Um, and if we can between us figure that out if we can get a hypothesis going about what might have happened in the past that has put you in this position now that's when we can really get results and and you mentioned earlier those kind of light bulb moments that's also when the clients are going oh 
I've never made the link between those two things before. And, and essentially that getting there, arriving at that place where we can identify the root cause of something. A lot of the work is done at that point, I would say, because I would say that 70% of the work is about creating awareness of, of, of what, what it is the problem is. And then the remaining 30% then is, okay, are you going to choose now to do something different that you've, that you've acknowledged the reason that you have this set of behavior? So that I would say 30% then is about behavioral change after that. But from my perspective, you need to do that 70% before you do the 30% behavioral change in order to maintain long lasting results. Um, I don't think that um, results will last longer than a year, a couple of years, unless people really get to the bottom of why their eating habits are the way they are, why they're not treating their bodies well, why they're not hydrating themselves, why they're not out exercising. Yeah, I think it's one of those things people just need to be given the right direction and I think the reassurance because I think realistically most people deep down they know what they should be doing but it's you almost have to bring that to the surface and get them to answer their own questions if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 100%. And people do, the majority of the time, know what they should be doing. It's just they're, they're choosing not to. And I hear from a lot of people, you know, like, I know I should be doing this or I know that this is the way that I keep myself fit and healthy. But I just don't feel like it because I wake up every day of the week feeling like shit, no motivation, and... I work really hard in my job. I work long hours. And when I come home from work, I just want to sit on the sofa and eat as a way of kind of relaxing. Um, and, and it's about getting them out of that rut. You know, it's about getting them out of that rut and seeing that there's another, there's another option. But, but a lot of it stems, I would say, from, from emotional literacy. I think that I think a lot of people, like a large amount of people, I think are, are eating their feelings. Um, and I think that, that that is part of it, is that if we can all, as a society, become more emotionally literate and we can own when we're feeling sad, own when we're feeling angry, own when we're feeling afraid, and, and actually be able to express and process that in a healthy way, we, we, would, we would have half the problems we have in terms of mental health and, and in terms of addiction. Um, and, and I always use the analogy of, of us having a bottle. So I always say that when we're born, we get given uh, a bottle. The bottle stays the same size our whole life. So it doesn't get any bigger as we get older. And essentially, it's the bottle that we shove all of the things into that we don't deal want to deal with so when something's painful or upsetting or angry and we learn as a child that the best way to do deal with that is to not deal with it and to shove it in the bottle and we keep shoving stuff into that bottle and then eventually the bottle is full and it starts overflowing and this, that when, when that bottle's overflowing with stuff that's when you start seeing things like addiction suicide, depression, anxiety, obesity, uh, bulimia, anorexia, um, and just general disease and unhappiness in people. Um, that's, that's like my very simple analogy of, of how this stuff works. So the, the, the goal for me always with clients is let's get the bottle stop, stopped overflowing and let's deal with whatever's in there that you've been shoving down inside 
inside yourself. Let's get all that out. And then let's learn over time through our relationship of working together how to stop putting stuff in the bottle. And when you get angry or sad or afraid, how you, how you can express that in a healthy way. What does that look like? Because I think for a lot of us, it's not something we were taught to do when we were growing up. 100%. And I'm going to open up and use myself a bit as an example here because would you agree this was very much me when you first, I first came to you? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I, and I mean, it's a familiar place for me too. I mean, I, I feel like I can only really say, well, not only I know this from a theoretical point of view, but I know it from a personal journey as well. Um, and, and yeah, I think that uh, it's a very common thing amongst guys, particularly, Charlie. I, I remember the, the conditioning when I was a kid. I was, remember the, you just need to toughen up, you know, and being told that. That expression. Um, make, yeah. And it's, um, it's very, very true. And I remember one of the things you actually said to me, which um, the pen, I think we spoke about earlier about the, the penny drop moment, and it was very true for me, was when you said that um, you asked me to ever get angry. And I'm like, I'm a very controlled and calm person. And he's like, and you said, you've got a lot of uh, inner like anger and rage like bottled up and like instantly the penny dropped. And that's why I love exercising and like weight training, things like that. Because it's a way for me to like, almost um get rid of all this aggression in a very positive and productive way and mm. it's the same way for me in terms of working and helping people because i can almost like channel my inner drive and um i don't know maybe that slightly warped part of your mentality in some respect into something positive if that makes sense yeah yeah no absolutely i mean sometimes i think i'm a bit of a sniffer dog for this sort of stuff <laughs> because like sometimes i can just know without the client telling me and that's why i say i work quite intuitively because of course the first thing that always is goes through my head when somebody says that they don't get angry as well if you're not getting angry at all ever where is it going because nobody can live a life in which they have absolutely zero frustration or anger. It's just not possible. Um, unless you were like a Buddhist monk uh, living a life of solitude in the mountains, you know, it's, it's, it's very unlikely. And even then I'm sure they probably get frustrated and angry from time to time. So, so when you said to me, I'm a very calm, controlled person, I don't get angry. My immediate instinct then is you have repressed anger there is a bottle of anger in there somewhere and we need to try and tap into it and find out what it's about when you started shoving it in there and, and, and get it out and, and lay it all out on the floor and go, yeah, that doesn't need to be in there. Cause I almost, um, I almost see this stuff like um, as cancerous, just, just to give an analogy from physical health. I, I, I think those bottles of emotions that we have inside ourselves are tumors and, and, and if I was a surgeon, I'd want to be getting in there and cutting it out and, and extracting it from the body and taking it out and, and, and letting it go because we don't want to be carrying that stuff around with us and holding on to it. We need to let go of it and disperse it. Um, and do I think that it can kill the way, the way a cancerous tumor can kill? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that you know, there's so much that we didn't know 10 years ago about psychological well-being that we know now in terms of neuroscience and how that all works and how essentially psychotherapy can actually reconstruct the brain. And that's what happens when you go through a therapeutic journey. I'm, we're on the cusp of, of realizing, I think, that some physical medical conditions are actually rooted in psychological disease. 
um, they're referred to as psychosomatic illnesses and they're, they're becoming more and more common. So it's where somebody is unwell physically, the doctors cannot understand why they're unwell. Um, but actually it's the body's way of shutting down and starting to get into disease because there's stuff that's not being dealt with psychologically. And that can be particularly the case with people with a lot of trauma, PTSD, things like that and some psychiatric conditions. So obviously I'm talking here about some of the extremes, but like the reason I'm doing that is because no, I don't want anybody to let themselves get that far. So if you're listening to this today and you're thinking, God, I never get angry, or the last time I cried was 20 years ago, I think there's a bottle of anger or sadness or both inside of you that you should go about getting out. That would be my top tip. Yeah, I think that's some solid advice. And in terms of people to get like more self-awareness about themselves, is there anything you think would help with that? Yeah, well, I think one of the big things is, is, is psychoeducation. I mean, like, you know, not everybody wants to go and, and, and do therapy. And I, I think that's fine. I don't think everybody should go and do therapy. That's a very personal choice. Um, but there's lots of ways that you can do personal development. So you can go get a coach. Um, I don't mean a fitness coach, but a life coach, personal coach. You can go to a counselor. You can go to a psychotherapist. You can try a whole plethora of, of all other uh, types of, of, of therapies as well, which aren't psychotherapies like EMDR. There's uh, focusing like there, there's, the list goes on. There's hundreds of different things that you can try. Some of them verbal, some of them non-verbal. Art therapy is a great one for somebody that doesn't want to do a talking therapy because you can just go and draw and paint or do whatever you want to do creatively. Um, and then the other bit is that bit I just mentioned around psychosocial education. So um, the modality that I trained in is in transactional analysis, which is a social psychology. Um, and uh, TA is great for personal development and just the sense of learning the theory. Like my, that's where my journey all started really was actually learning transactional analysis and applying the theory to myself. And, and I, I really just started to learn things about myself that I'd never known before. Um, and that was the first time I, I was met with the, uh, this idea of feelings and not expressing my feelings and them being repressed. Um, and that gave me so much freedom in the world. So for somebody that doesn't want to do, you know, a one-on-one -on -one therapeutic journey, you could think about doing a personal development course or, or learning some psychological theory. I know people do um, CBT courses as well. That would also be an entry gate into into that world and 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 trying to learn more about yourselves. But in, to more directly answer your question, if if I said that there there was one thing that was the biggest uh, help in anyone's life is having more self awareness, um, and 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 actually just getting to grips with with the reality of your life, you know, and and how you are with other people, how you are in your relationships, how how you eat, how you exercise, how you don't exercise. That might also be the case. And one great tool for self awareness is a reflective journal. Okay. Now a lot of people, when I suggest, suggest a reflective journal, go, "Oh no, I hate journaling. I don't like writing." So it won't be for everyone. But if anyone's listening out there and that you know they're kind of going oh i could do that great tool okay just to sit down every evening with a notebook and just reflect on how was your day what did you notice about your day 
what feelings did you notice you were feeling? And you know, a great thing as well around emotions, if you're struggling to figure out how you are actually feeling, is just noticing things like, do you use words like, I'm fine, I'm grand, I'm okay, I think I'm okay. Okay, these are all intellectualizations of feelings. So you want to be able to connect with your emotions. There's four main core emotions. There's joy, fear, anger, and sadness. All things can nearly be rooted back to the four of them. So frustration, for example, anger. Anxiety, fear. Grief, loss, sadness. Okay, so there's, there's all of these adjectives out there. They all root back into those four core emotions. So you just also want to be kind of figuring out which ones of those am I feeling on a day-to-day -day basis? So if you are doing a reflective journal, maybe do it for a few weeks and then, you know, do a look back over it and see which emotions come up quite regularly. But also, you know what's really interesting? Which emotions don't come up at all? And maybe you could learn something from that. If you, after three weeks, haven't once felt like you've been angry, I'd be a bit concerned about that. And I think we have this divergence to, to being angry um, or to some emotions. Like there was a, a great thing going around there for a while about negative and positive emotions that used to really annoy me um, because there is no such thing as positive and negative emotions. And I just dispel that myth now, right now, for anybody who's listening. There is no such thing as positive and negative emotions. Emotions are like an early warning system. They're there to tell you something, okay? So they're not negative. They're, they're, they're meant to be a system in which you get information about how things are for you in the world right now. And then you use that to make changes or adjustments appropriately so that you get to where you want to go. So anger, fear, and sadness are useful. They're not negative. They're useful as long as you know how to use them and interpret them in the right way. There's also a myth that anger is violent and aggressive. Not true. If I was feeling frustrated or angry, and I wanted to express that, I might just say, I'm really, I'm really feeling really frustrated at the moment. And I'm, I'm feeling angry or I'm angry at you because of something that you've done. Now, nothing about what I've just said is aggressive or violent. It might sound a little bit confrontational if I was to say to somebody, I'm, I'm feeling angry with you. But even then, that, that doesn't have to be too aggressive, that confrontation. So I think it's just really important to get to grips with that as well, that, that these are positive aspects of, of our, our well-being and not to shy away from experiencing them. Yeah, I think that's the anger one is probably one that I struggle with a lot to show. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Hmm. But almost, uh, it's a very weird thing to say. But it almost feels like controlled rage, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's almost what drives me. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I, I, I know that, you know, I, I used to do a lot of kind of like week-long retreats and stuff like that, you know, where we'd be in silence and we'd be doing all sorts of exercises and physical movement to kind of stir up the emotions. Because one of the, the teachings from, from more Eastern um, philosophy and, and medicine is that um, – we we don't have enough disturbance in our lives in the west so what they mean by that is that there, things are so controlled and predicted and safe in the west that um we never get kind of agitated enough to let our emotions come up to the surface so um one one thing that you can do is um 
a type of meditation that actually stimulates all of that. Um, like on that retreat that I would have done, who <laughs> would have done it at six o'clock in the morning, every morning to start our day off and then to see what would have floated up to the surface. So you do a lot of physical movement, a lot of chanting, a lot of um, uh, banging, shouting, screaming, crying, just to get it all um, stimulated up. And I, I remember that in that week, I, I came in touch with a lot of anger that I didn't realize that I had. And one of my things going away from that, Charlie, was that I um, I realized that part of the problem around anger for me was I was afraid what I might do if I really got angry. I think I probably resonate with that. If I'm, if you I'm... know, and, and that's just me being really candid. You know, I was like, if I actually really get into this and let it and let myself feel it, what am I going to be capable of? You know, what, 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 what could I do? Could I hurt somebody? Could I hurt myself? What sort of a rage would I get into? And then over time, what I learned was that I didn't need to step into it fully. I didn't need it to go so far that I felt like it was taking over, that I learned how to lean into it. It's a, it's a phrase that I like a lot, actually, is leaning into things. So I would be able to lean into the anger that I was feeling. And, and over time, I would be able to, to really get to know it and what it was about. And it was through that constant going back to it and going, okay, I'm feeling kind of frustrated. What's that about? And leaning into it again. So I never had to leave it go so far that I felt like I lost control. Um, and I think that can be the bit that where we have a little bit of anxiety and fear around is that if I really let myself feel some of the repressed anger that I have, what, what, what am I going to do? Like it's that inner psychopath in us or the inner killer in us or the inner what, whatever in us, that scary part of ourselves that we want to disown. Um, and and it, for me, it's just about leaning into that time and time again and getting to know it and owning that part of yourself is how you end up having a healthy relationship with it. But avoid continuing to avoid it and continuing to not acknowledge it that just breeds more and more problems over time. How would you, so say for example, you're someone who has got bottled up anger. How would you express getting that out? Let the genie out of the bottle, as they say. Yeah. Um, I've got that song in my head now. Um, <laughs> you just done it to me as well. You know when someone says, that pink elephant thing, and now I've just said pink elephant, and I'm thinking about pink elephant. Yeah, I won't all um, hurt your ears by singing it. Um, I, I, there's lots of ways uh, that you can do it. Okay. So one of the things that, um, I, I would do with clients is I would do lots of anger release exercises. Uh, do you know those pool noodles that you yeah. get on, on, in pools and holidays? Yeah. Like I, I own 10 of them. Um, and, uh, they, they are therapeutic instruments in, in my consultation room. Um, and, um, you know, I have some padding on, on the floor and, and I encourage people to kneel down with the pool noodle in their hand and, and flake it at the floor and scream and shout and, and really get it out because sometimes we actually do need that release. It's a bit like when we're sad and you get to that place where you just start bawling crying and you just sink into the sadness and all of a sudden you're overcome with tears and emotion and it lasts for a while and then afterwards you kind of go, Oh, actually, do you know, I feel great relief. Well, 
the the shouting and screaming and the hitting the floor can be a very similar thing it can be very 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 healthy for people um the other thing that you do is a lot of grounding okay so a lot of grounding so really keeping people in the here and now reality so if i was going to do exercises like that um getting people in their bare feet to walk out onto cold wet grass to get them grounded really good um people who are maybe a bit more adventurous things like uh, wim hof is great for staying grounded have you have you come across that before uh, i have i've actually i got yeah given his book for christmas yeah. Oh yeah, on the list to read. But yeah, um, so Wim Hof does ice baths and and really deep breathing. I mean, it sounds awful, doesn't it? <laughs> but actually, do you know what? You feel so much better from it. I've done a lot of breathing uh, retreats. Um, I've also done something called holotropic breathwork, um, where you you do a breathing exercise for four hours while you're lying on the flat of your back. Um, really deep. Um, not really deep. Sorry, really shallow, fast breathing um and and that has a therapeutic effect so so there's lots of grounding exercises and and also i encourage people right because that's the other thing as well is that sometimes anger can be big right or or at least we have this uh thing in our minds that we think it's big you know it, it's like oh my anger is the size of uh, of the world okay um is that w sometimes when i'm working with people who are trying to explore it or come to terms with or get to know what they're angry about is we can do that work outside because there's so much more space when you're outside and it doesn't feel like it's as big when it's in a room it can feel like it's going to take up the whole room so i think that can be an important bit as well um you mentioned earlier that you know it's one of the reasons you love exercise because you you it can be a way of 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 taking it out you know um so i do encourage like i work with a, a lot of young men in ireland and um if they are anyway inclined uh, into things like mixed martial arts or boxing I, I encourage that because again i see these as being healthy ways in which these young men can be expressing their anger but what i often coach them on when when before they start practicing or while they're doing it is that they need to be consciously doing it okay so there's no point in going to join a boxing club or doing wim hof or joining an MMA club just because that's what you're going to do. You need to be doing it with some intention. So when you're punching the bag, are you thinking about getting your anger out? Are you consciously letting yourself feel the emotion and letting it out? Or are you just mindlessly hitting the bag? Because there's a difference between those two things. One is a very accounting, grounded space in which you're in touch with your emotion. And the other is a continuation of life as it was before, you're disassociated chances after what you're going to do after boxing is go home and eat stuff you shouldn't eat whereas if you can get yourself into a very grounded place and in touch with your feelings you'll feel the the benefit after doing those activities 100 percent, some awesome advice there now to start to wrap things up what would be one thing that you say people should really focus on other than obviously grounding which you just said to really lock in their mindset when it comes to like a transformational journey or getting their head in the right space as it were? Um, I think having a, a goal or objective is really important. Like, you know, where, where is it that you're trying to go to? So obviously for some people, it might just be uh, getting well, okay, or, or recovery if, if, they have, if they have addiction problems. Um, but for other people um, who I refer to as the walking well, uh, or sorry, the walking wounded, 
um, it, you know, and, and they, they might have problems, um, but they might not be full on addictions. It's about having a goal. So yeah, I want to get fit and I want to lose weight, but why? Like, what's your why? You know, why do you want to do that? Is it because you want to be able to look in the mirror and feel good about yourself? Is it because you want to have a long, healthy life? Like there's lots of different reasons about why you might want to get fit and healthy. So I think identifying a goal and knowing your why is so important because that can also keep you focused when you're on the journey. Because I'm not going to lie to people, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you're in therapy or you're doing coaching or you're on that journey of self-reflection and you bump into things and you go, oh, this is, this is not nice. It's not horrible. And you have a few weeks where you feel like shit. But it's like if you have that goal and that why out in front of me and I can still see it, it gets me through those few weeks and it helps me stay focused. 100%. That's some very, very solid advice to finish up there. So for people to find out more information, you've also got your own podcast, John. So do you want to yeah. give that a, a subtle Yeah, plug? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's called Three People in Your Head. It's, it's all about transactional analysis, really, rather than the, the work that I do. And I co-host that with another colleague of mine, Matt Taylor. Um, and yeah, you can find out uh, more information. You can follow me on LinkedIn um, or on www.johnfleming.ie or www.becomingyou.com. I've got two businesses. One's kind of more personal uh, development and, and counseling focus, and the other then is my corporate business um, where I work with organizations. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, John. So I know you guys were taking a huge amount of value for this and should give you some clarity in terms of your mindset for the coming year and the challenges that you'll be facing. If you want help with your own transformational journey, please hit the link below and you can book in a free six-pack strategy call with myself and the CGO coaching team. And if you found this helpful, make sure you leave us a five-star review and share this to your Instagram stories and tag me. And we'll see you in the next episode.